Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Like a Real Book Club, where we talk about books and just about everything else. I'm Christina. And I'm Ashley. So for this episode, we're going to be talking about the secret lives of Baba Segi's wives. And this was our March? February. March? February. February. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Wow. This was our February book, and it, I think it was a fave amongst a lot of us in book club. This is a book that I read a couple years ago, and I remember just loving, one, the writing of Lola Shonien, might be pronouncing that incorrectly, who is actually a poet, and I'm usually a really big fan of poets who their toes into writing prose because I think they just write so beautifully. Yeah, her and then of course they, yeah, just really, really good and funny where she needs to be funny and just very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And I also love the drama of it. It's a very, very dramatic book with several kinds of plot twists and turns <laughs> that are kind of. Not Ashley's dog. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, let me let me just meet myself. Okay. I've accepted in the last two years that if you're doing anything virtual, life is going to be happening around you. And I just feel like people shouldn't have to or feel the need to apologize for life happening. Like, you really can unboat it. Not at all. <laughs> All right, so Ashley, what were your first thoughts reading this book? Or what were some of the initial thoughts that you had while reading the book? Okay, so um, first of all, I didn't read it. I listened to it, which I think added a whole nother layer of uh, excitement for me because, uh, like you said, well, I actually didn't do much reading on the author, so I didn't know that she was a poet turned um also but uh, um or sorry I didn't know that she did poetry first and then jumped over into prose um but I just thought the writing was really rich um it was very it was very um like I could see what she was talking about she painted such a vivid picture of Baba Segi's household for me as a listener and I really appreciated it and what I loved about it is that she narrated the audiobook so she really jumps into characters I mean she created them so the way that she would um she would um become Baba Segi or she'd come Bolanle or yeah um Femi was uh, was just um fascinating to me that she was able to take on those different roles and really differentiate the different characters um so I like that a lot it's a book that I've never read yeah so it's a book that I didn't read before so I'm really happy for the recommendation for book club and then I thought I really thoroughly enjoyed it and I would recommend it to anybody who likes a little bit of mix-up and laughter but also wants to see what the reality is of like polygamy in contemporary Nigeria 
um, and just polygamy, what, what polyamorous relationships mean generally. Um, so yeah, I I really liked it, and I I would recommend it. So the secret lives of Baba Segi's Segi's wives, as Ashley mentioned, is a book centered in Nigeria. I can't remember where exactly in Nigeria, but it's centered in Nigeria and it unfolds the story of Baba Segi, who is, uh, I think he's rich. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's not one of the Yeah, him have money and... It details the lives and the dynamics of his four wives. So it starts out with uh, his three wives. He had three first. Ia Segi, Ia Femi, and Ia Tope. I think actually Ia Tope is the second wife. And then we see where Baba Segi gets a new wife who is Bolanle. He went out seeking this new wife and she also was sort of seeking him. So the entire story is, as the title would suggest, these lives that these women live outside of their husbands. Like we we get an idea and an understanding of their past, the things that they went through, but also how they came to meet Baba Segi and how they ended up becoming one of his wives. We see the dynamics that they have with each other as well as the dynamics that they have with Baba Segi. But more importantly, though, the story, one of the central plots, I would say, of the story is their relationship with this new wife, Balanle, who is much younger than they are, comes from a different educational background. She's college educated where the other three weren't. Uh, Balanle also comes into the space with an entirely different perspective of polygamous life and polygamous relationships and we see where she has a difficult time with entering into that dynamic and we also see where these wives kind of shut her out from uh, being a part of that dynamic which is my opinion uh Jerine has a completely different opinion on how well not completely different but a different perspective on how that dynamic went so some of the themes that we see come up is of course again polygamy we see a difference in education i would see there's also issues of abuse there's issues of displacement or being pulled from your home we are seeing sexism of course we're seeing the how patriarchy works and how it unfolds, especially in a polygamous uh, society. So let's jump into, I guess, maybe some of the characters and their story and what their story looks like. Yeah, sure, we can mm-hmm. do that. Um, well, I guess we can talk about Bolanle since she's basically the main character and the story is told from her perspective. Um, I don't think we ever got her age but i know i would say maybe she's in her early to mid 20s and um yeah i think she might be 25 like maybe 24 25 okay okay yeah and like you said um christina she is university educated um this was a sacrifice that her mother made for her and her sister i'm not sure if her sister actually went to university though 
um, based on what I remember. I don't, because she was never really into school. I think her sister took a completely different path from hers, like intentionally took yeah. a different path from the yeah. But But she was also never, it didn't seem like she was ever very, like, I wouldn't say gifted, but just not very into, like, traditional learning. Um, and I think that might be thinking about it a little bit more I think that might be partially the fault of their mother yeah for sure maybe fault isn't the word but they it was very clear whenever we saw Balanle's flashbacks into her life that Balanle's mother invested and poured a lot into Balanle which resulted in both neglecting her sister in terms of her personal development, her educational development, her future. She was also a lot more difficult and hard on the other sister. So I think there is no real way of knowing whether that sister could have or desired college or maybe wanted to go to college because, at least from the perspective of Bolanle, the sister just seemed like... You know, typical rebel, typical rebel Pitney who fights against their parents, who is uninterested in their parents, uh, or well, uninterested in the typical path that parents lead um, lay out for their children. So I don't know if we can really make any sort of assumptions about her because from Bolanley's very biased perspective. The sister just seemed like a sister that loved to give trouble. I think so. Um, I don't think uh, their mom... I think their mom was just so stressed out by life. Um, they were a low-income family, and she didn't get the support of her partner. Um, he was a drunk and never seemed to be around a lot based on the flashbacks that Bolanle would share with us as the reader and the... Yeah, as a reader. And so um, she was just unsupported and had to tackle a lot of the parenting on her own. Um, she had two children who were very different and she wanted perfection from both of them because she wanted a life for them that she was never given. And so that left her being just like extremely strict um and uh, that type of parenting I feel like is extremely it just limits everybody but I understand where it comes from I get that it's like stressful to raise children I mean not that I have any children on my own but I can just only imagine um I'm remembering the the time when Balanli shared that uh, she would always dread getting her report card because and she would take super long to go to walk home um, because there will always be one course that she doesn't top the class in. And this one time she decided to protest because she said, you know, mom, let's say she does 10 courses. Mom, I, I topped nine out of 10. Why isn't that enough? And the, the, the class that she didn't come first in, I think it was English literature and the, the person who came first, their father was like an English person. So she was just 
she was saying, you know, how could I even compete with that? He's actually English. Um, and uh, she wasn't here for it. She wasn't having it. I don't know if she ended up meeting her, but I know that she used her words really liberally to her children and they were really hurtful. Yeah. And so um, that type of discipline was just really strict and really rigid and it was... Uh, I think a limiting and sorry I think very emotional yeah I'm saying very emotionally yeah yeah for sure and she just never stopped like when you think that she doesn't say everything she has to say about you like there is still half an hour more of her telling you how terrible you are of a person and of a daughter and of a child and how big of a disappointment you are and that that that's really Mm -hmm. um damaging to your self-esteem as a teenager so i think uh, there's that um and uh, even down to her dying even down to what her dying breath she was just oh yeah 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 for sure um so i'm one i just I was wondering why we started talking about this again, but we're talking about her sister and her, like, uh, aversion to school. I remember uh, Bolani was saying mm-hmm. that her sister started to doctor the, the her report cards really early because her sister was younger than Bolani, so her mom would compare her even more and be like, why can't you be like her? Why can't you be like your sister? Because she was apparently failing a lot of her courses. Um, which is interesting because after her mother done cuss her, Bolanle that is, and tell her that she needs to come first in everything, she goes over to her sister and say, why, why aren't you more like her sister? So I feel like her mom doesn't know what kind of, like, I guess, child she wants. She just wants, or maybe she just wants perfection, which is sad because that's not attainable. Yeah. But, um... It's just interesting how one child was not enough, but uh, when you compare her to the other child, like that's that's even double not enough. If you understand what I'm saying, um. So I mean, yeah. I can understand that that the, the household was pretty toxic, and uh, um, it just wasn't a space where either children, either child, sorry, um, was able to thrive, um, yeah. But uh, Bolanle, I really liked her as a character. Um, I think she was... Uh, I think for a lot of the book, uh, she is misunderstood. And uh, just... Uh, like, I, on the, I really appreciated getting to see the book and the, the relationships through her eyes. Um, because... Uh, you realize that she, yes, I know she went, everybody in that book has gone through a lot because it, it doesn't hide the fact that so many of the wives and just different people um, in the book go through varying levels of trauma. Um, so I don't want to try and rank the trauma and say that one is better than the other, but Balanda really went through a lot and I think she's somebody who because of the type of home environment that she grew up in was never allowed to express her emotions and because of that that would that made 
what she went through even worse and so she kind of just dug herself into a hole and retreated um trigger warning for anybody who hasn't read the book yet but she experienced a sexual assault when she was 16 i believe or maybe 15 going on 16 that kind of changed the trajectory of her life um, it was full on rape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was raped by a stranger, um, and uh, she just never told her anybody. Actually, she never told anybody until much, much later, where she had a conversation with her mother, and uh, she told her. And at first, she denied it. Like her mother was just like, "No child of mine could ever be raped. Like I would have been able to spot it or whatever." But for me, when I was listening to that, I was saying that's really interesting because at no point had you had you presented yourself as a safe option to your children where they can come to you and talk to you about how they're actually feeling. So I'm not sure how you feel like you would have been able to pinpoint what was going on to the point where you could ask a child about it because I don't think I'm not sure I mean you can correct me if I'm wrong but I don't get the point I don't get the um the picture that they were ever emotionally close at all it was just a very distant relationship it was a relationship where the mother provided in whatever capacity that she could and whenever she couldn't or whenever she felt like her children fell short and weren't pulling their own weight then she would cost them um and i don't think relationships like that feel any sort of trust and vulnerability um so yeah i think from 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 a very early age bolanle was taught to not express her emotions and then whenever this huge life altering event happened to her she kind of just shut down and started cruising through her own life or took a back seat in her own life. Um, and it just you just realize how deeply that type of action affects you or inaction really affects you. Um, so I have a lot of sympathy for her. I know that like she's not perfect. Um, but when she entered the, the, the home of Baba Segi as a, newest and youngest and probably prettiest wife um there was a lot of jealousy and a lot of competition on her on towards her and there was like active plotting to get rid of her um which (laughs) i think uh, added to the spice of the story yeah but also showed you as a reader how difficult it was for balanle to integrate herself and made you realize that maybe she would, like, throughout her entire life, she never really belonged anywhere. She never belonged in her own home. She never belonged in the home that she made after um, leaving her parents' home. Um, and that can be really hard for somebody. Yeah, I'm. I was here thinking about how just how patriarchy functions and how it manifests and how it dwarfs and affects your entire perspective of yourself and how you navigate life. And 
that is something that Lola, I think, explores with all of the characters in this book, in this book, even including Baba Segi. And we see that playing out in their lives and in their stories, because in the same way that Bolanle had to navigate that very hard and difficult mother-daughter relationship, both Bolanle and her sister had to navigate that difficult mother-daughter relationship that we know that patriarchy in and of itself affects how mothers and daughters relate to each other. We see we see it in the story in the backstories of all these women of Aya Segi, Aya Tope, Aya or Ia Femi, we see the experiences that these women would have had to gone through or would have gone through rather just to survive and just to find some sort of semblance of peace. And for a lot of women, uh, not just women really, but anyone, anyone who isn't cisgender, anybody who is not man, anybody who is not heterosexual, patriarchy robs you of liberty. It robs you of peace. It robs you of choice and options and the ability to chart and create just create the life that you want for yourself and the life that you you see for yourself because with Balanle as you mentioned she went through this extremely horrific experience of being raped at the very very young age of 16 and we saw how as a result of that experience and as a result of not being able to share that experience and get the appropriate help and support to go through that experience she became a shell of herself she vacated her body and vacated her life and just handed over her agency and her her the direction of her life to somebody else in this case it was baba segi and then we saw with ia segi ia segi she was queer, we can we can correctly and confidently assume that she was queer or a lesbian. And she was a very ambitious and determined person from a very young age when she lived with her mother. And she she worked really hard and saved her money because she had she had goals and ambitions for herself, but ended up having to hand over her money to Baba Segi. That was what happened, right? Yeah, well, not handed over. Not handed over, um, right. Not like, over. again, like, we see the dynamic of uh, mother-daughter relationships and how that influences your actions. Because the reason why she... Oh, well, her mother was the one who actually married her off to Baba Segi. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was... Uh, and use the money that she was saving up from when she was working as a um as a younger person to pay for the wedding and I don't know if I don't remember specifically and to start his business about too, I think. As, yes that was a startup capital for her business I was gonna say that I don't remember them specifically talking about bride price but whatever sort of like dowry or cultural um yeah, it capital was that. Uh, um you exchange whenever you are getting married um it came from yasegi right or femi which one mm-hmm. 
Yes, Seggy. Seggy, okay, cool. So, and then, as you mentioned, Ia Tope. Yes, Ia Tope. In Ia Tope's case, I know my brain, my brain did a thing. <laughs> but I wanted to mention Ia Tope, though, because it was her, was it her family that they, God, probably have to yeah, her family, um, her family sold her. It was when her family's crop, yeah, yeah their crop, right? Yes, the cassava right. crop. I'm going to start that over. Start over my tactics. Mm-hmm. With Iatope, when her family's cassava crop did not yield, or when, when their cassava farm did not yield as much as it previously did, her family sold her to Baba, to Baba Segi. And I found that one especially hard to read because Iatope is such a... She's so innocent. <laughs> She's... She lives in her imagination. She lives in her entire world. And I believe that she's somewhere on the spectrum or she's some kind of neurodivergent because she very much lives internally. She lives in her world and she lives very simply. Like she finds joy in the simplest things. She loves things, right? She she liked to weed the farm. She liked to pull out the weeds out of the farm. And she felt very proud of herself for doing something like that. She found it to be an accomplishment and something that really and truly gave her some kind of joy. And that was rubbed from her. She was basically misplaced, not misplaced, displaced from the thing that served her and put in a situation where she had to serve. And then we get to Iafemi, who perhaps, I think, in addition to Bolanle, perhaps had the most difficult experience, I would say. We're not ranking traumas and oppressions, but I think she had one of the more difficult experiences where she was so close to her family, to her mother and her father. Her mother and her father died tragically in an accident. She was then adopted by or lived with her uncle and her uncle's wife who she did not like and then she was also sold to uh a family some wealthy yeah Being some wealthy family where she became their house girl right and she was violently abused like terribly terribly abused from for 15 years. not getting food yeah for and she and she was young too. She was like a teenager. Yeah. Right? And so she, she spent started, um, fifteen years. In this. Yeah. By the time she started living with Baba Segi, I think she said she was in her thirties. Mm-hmm. So she spent half of her life being abused by this older woman, and the abuse robbed her of so many things and she would have expressed it that it robbed her of an education i think it also robbed her of she it also it robbed her of an opportunity to become a better person i think i think the experience of being so heavily abused kind of built up this sort of bitterness and anger towards Basically anybody. Anybody who I think she she wanted to be like, which is why I think she definitely despised um, Bolanle because 
Balanle had a lot of the things that she wanted, like an education. That's the biggest thing, I I think. Um, and that was robbed from her. Which is interesting because when her uncle sold her to this uh, this older woman, the, the deal was that she was going to go to school. But uh, she never went to school. The thing that hurt me the most with Yafemi is that... Uh, she was her parents' only child, and uh, so rightfully, I mean, in any context, uh, anything that belonged to her parents, she would inherit it now. But because of the patriarchal um, society that uh, is so deeply ingrained in Nigeria, she wasn't able to accept her in- inheritance because it is the wish that a woman goes and leaves her home and goes and lives with her um husband so her parents house and i think they owned a farm so their farm as well she wasn't able to inherit that and instead her uncle got it and he was not as industrious as her father as yafemi's father or neither was he um just uh, yeah like he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't as industrious as yafemi either and so when she had visited the um yeah. the plot, the land and the house uh, all those years later um she realized that nothing had really changed about it like it's not like they had any major livestock or any major plantings or nothing so basically he inherited that for no reason um which uh, got me thinking because it's just uh, I I wanna wonder how how culturally relevant that is right now like is that something that is a practice that actively still exists not just in nigeria or in any other african country but any other country that patriarchy is the standard um i'm just wondering if something like that could ex- um, exist in jamaica or, or in the wider caribbean where um well not that i know of in jamaica in particular where um, you can't inherit your parents' property because you are a woman. Thankfully, we don't have those type of. Um... I don't. Yeah, I don't think that's uh something that occurs here. Yeah. Um, but it's just the. You are right, Christina, when you talk about one of the biggest themes being patriarchy because you see how much of an influence it has in every single aspect of your life as a woman and how difficult your life can be to navigate when you always have to take into consideration men and uh, how they will react to the things that you have. So when we finally meet these, not finally, but when we get into the dynamic of these four women things get a lot more complicated and complex where we see everybody's trauma response coming out at once and very immediately well not everyone really it was Ia Segi and Ia Femi's trauma response immediately coming out at how they engaged Bolanle when she finally came to the house for one Bolanle was the 
She was the only wife that Baba Segi actually went out and sought for himself. So she he met her at a at one of his shops, I believe. She came in with a friend. He saw her, felt she was pretty, flirted with her. And Bolanle, from her perspective, she saw this as a great opportunity for her to, again, vacate her life, to not have to deal with any sort of decision-making about where her life would go and what her life would do. Because she had just finished, I think she, she might have just finished college. And it's expected, I think, that if you're somebody who went to university, when you leave university, you're supposed to do some big, amazing thing, especially if you came from a poorer background. So she... Baba Segi saw her, was intrigued by her, intrigued by her intelligence. I'm very interested about what people thought about how he viewed her intelligence initially, especially. I think, I think it kind of reminded me of how some men view and interact with women who are obviously smart, where... They think it's cute, but then there's a part of them that really wants to find an opportunity to humble them or take them down a notch or to one-up them. And I feel like that's the kind of thought that he might have had in his head when he found out that Balanle is an educated woman. But yeah, so anyway, he meets, he's the wife that he actively, she's the wife that he actively sought out versus his first three wives who were basically handed to him or given to him. And the wives, especially Iasegi and Iafemi, found that extremely threatening because here comes a fourth woman into our house where we have to divide up our our resources even more, meaning that we're getting a smaller portion or we're getting less. And by resources, I don't just mean... uh, food or products within the house because that's something that happened to where they ration out uh, food and products for their children and for themselves in the house actually Iasegi does that but also the affection and the attention of Babasegi because there's capital that comes with one being the first wife being the favorable wife as is the case with Iasegi. Iasegi would always say that she has the mind of Babasegi. So she has that kind of power where whatever she says, or well, she can find her own way of doing it, of saying things to lead Babasegi in a particular direction. She's the only one of the three wives who had that kind of ability. So then for this other woman to come into the house, this woman that he brought into the house, that he's obviously intrigued with having conversations with her, was extremely threatening because it, it feels like threatening my position, feels like threatening the opportunities that are potentially there for me. And then for Iasegi, we, not Iasegi, Iafemi, we see where that instinct that I think occurs when, when you've been traumatized in the way that she has been traumatized. And my therapist who is absolutely amazing she talks a lot about how the body keeps the score and i know that's a book that's a very famous book just about how 
or nervous system when once it's been impacted so much by trauma it stays within our muscles and so it becomes an immediate reaction to to any sort of any sort of threat it doesn't matter even if the threat is the smallest thing what our body knows is that we need to protect ourselves and our protection can look like any old thing and for Iasegi her protection or what is what is natural not Iasegi Iafemi what is natural for her in terms of protecting what can be taken away from her is to go into fight mode she immediately goes into fight mode and goes into protection mode and that led to her and Iasegi teaming up to kind of ice Ia to ice Bolanle out of the house. But not just ice, like freaking poison her, which uh, it come back and come bite her in the bottom because her daughter get eat the food instead, which uh, I think uh, right. I think uh, as readers, I know mm-hmm. a lot of. Uh, I know that Jeremy does not really particularly like Bolanle, but uh, we can only sympathize with Bolanle. Um, after something like that has happened because you saw how sick the child became and we know that it was intentioned for Valanle. So, I mean, like, I can't, like, I can sympathize with uh, all the trauma that people go through and the the type of, um, the type of threat that they might feel because of the introduction to this, uh, this new person, of this new person in the family, but... I don't know if you can excuse behavior like that. Well, yeah, there is absolutely no excuse for that. So the thing that Jerry, not Jerry, that Ashley mentioned is, so they've been plotting, they being Iasegi and Iafemi, throughout the entire book, we see them continuously plotting to make Balanle's life a living hell in the house because they've decided that since... Baba Segi is so taken up with her. The best thing that they can do for her is to make her feel like this is a hard environment that she doesn't want to exist in. And there are several things that happened that made them even more uninterested in her and wanting her out of the house. So when she came into the house, and I am I'm on this train where I think that Bolanle came into the house with a very condescending behavior even though she didn't express that externally she didn't express it directly to them but as an external person to this story i definitely think that she came into the house being extremely condescending towards these women and how they're raising their children and how they're how they're bringing up their children and she went into the house kind of with the intention to disrupt the way that the household ran. But when I say disrupt, I don't mean it in a malicious or kind of sinister way. I don't think that her intention, I don't think that she meant to be sinister in what she was doing, but I do think that she intended to disrupt and change the way things went. So so, so for example, the children could not read and her, she found that very, <laughs> I think, I don't know if disgust is the word, but she just couldn't understand. She just couldn't understand why them big money and teach them pity for read. 
And so she took it upon herself to teach them to read. And she also wanted to teach them proper hygiene. All great and very noble things. You want children to have proper hygiene. You want children to be literate and be able to read. But from the parents' perspective, the mother's perspective, what you're doing is attacking my ability to raise my child. You are attacking my my motherhood you're attacking my ability to be uh, to be and to mother and you are and that those things are particularly big nerves for these women specifically because they were not in love with baba segi but they loved and lived for their children their children were them pride and joy the apple of them eye all of them good things and, and their money don't forget and their money. And for so for Balanle to come into their space and criticize via her via her deciding to teach them things, their her, their parenting, that was kind of like the last straw for them. So one would already hate this girl because she come in here educated and Baba Segi went out looking for her. But no, she's calling she's inadvertently calling us terrible mothers. And those things combined made them say, you know well, what, I forget this bitch out at all. Well, I forget her out, we're gonna terrorize her, and we're gonna make sure say she come out of this. If she have either she'll come out on a stretcher or she'll come out by herself. And they did get to the point where then they'd want she come out on a stretcher where <laughs> yes. they that was literally the plan all along. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so then, well, I don't know if we want to talk about that or we want to talk about the fact that none of Baba Segi's children were actually his children. I'd really love to talk about that. Um, <laughs> he been busting blanks. Which is the big, which is, I think, this one, I think that was the more, the more surprising thing or the more shocking thing than the actual than um one of the children getting poisoned i think that one was a little bit more shocking and here's why because one it comes down again to lola's writing yeah just really just really really so good for me anyway no no i totally agree with you yeah how she ended up revealing uh this story over time so to backtrack a bit, once Bolanle came into the house, I think Bolanle recognized, I don't know if this was said explicitly in the book, but I think Bolanle recognized that children are your currency in this house. Um, and I don't know if she recognized that, but I mean, the thing, you see, this is what I like about this book. Like from the, the first sentence in the book, grab me, like it's not, Bolanle that recognize that is us as viewers, readers, sorry, recognize that children are currency because, but the whole this whole start thing started when, um, Baba Sege was like he got up out of his bed just perturbed that Bolanle uh, have no picnic yet, and we just it just uh, unfolded into this whole, this this melting pot of stories of. Uh, the different wives but uh, yeah like i think mm-hmm. from very early on us as readers you recognize that okay well if you're not a children then you know you're not really listening and 
I don't remember how right. did they actually mention how long she's been in the the family for? Because uh, I mean, I think about I think about three or so years. Three, okay. Maybe okay. two years. Okay. Yeah, I'd say about two, three years. Okay. All right, that's a decent amount of time. But I don't think think it was explicitly mentioned. Okay. Hold on. But yeah, so there's this, we recognize that children are a currency. I do think that you might have subconsciously recognized, though, that children are a currency in that house because I think Baba Segi, like the wives, didn't really love, he didn't love the wives, not love them in terms of a romantic thing. I think he loved what they offered him, which is a very pampered life. Yeah. I think he loved that. And I also think, I think he loved Iasegi in his own way as well. I'm not sure if... Actually, I think he loved all of them in their own way. I don't know. In his own way. Yeah. Not love in terms of a romantic love. A love in terms of familiarity. Yeah. You know, when you and somebody... yeah, some kind, some level of affection for them, but he loved his children. Yeah, he he absolutely adored his children, and, and we, we could see that from the type of relationship that he had with his own. Well, I think father in particular. Father. I think he died. His father died pretty early in his life, so he never got to have that connection with him. And I'm I'm not remembering the type of relationship he had with his mother. I think he, if I remember correctly, he had a pretty good relationship with his mother. Oh, yeah, yeah, because his mother was friends with uh, Yasegi's mother. Yasegi's. Yeah, um, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So he he was deeply in love with his children, and we see that from the very onset of this book, that these children meant the world to him. It was really, really important for him to have children. and And so... And that's a part of why he was so completely disturbed by the fact that Bolanle is not having children. Like every every single night, may I crawl up in this woman and nothing now come out. <laughs> what is taking place? He was completely confused and bamboozled, especially because he has how many were there? I think he had seven or eight out of eight kids. Yeah, they're like there are enough of them. Each person definitely yeah, enough has more than one. I think. Each person had at least two or three. No, I think Yasegi had just one. I think Yasegi just had just one. The girl Femi? I think the other two had yeah, and I think the other the other two had two each. But so he had he had enough children to make him confident enough that he is a fertile man, yeah. that he is able to have children so it was extremely <laughs> disturbing for him to not be able to be producing children oh, with this yeah. woman because in no same i put on work every night Yo, that is, yeah, put on work I'm, every night that's the best plot twist you know why because like <laughs> she she speaks so like every time she'd speak about his his manhood you know his what mm. makes him a man like she just talk about how well endowed he was and for you to be walking around with all of that that donkey dick and for you and to just not, not be not bussing me. blanks for you to be bussing blanks is just <laughs> hilarious and this again is what i meant when i said that patriarchy affects everybody in that a lot of 
in this book particular, Baba Segi's a lot of Baba Segi's manhood, his masculinity is tight, is very much wrapped up in one, his ability to have several wives, and two, his ability to to produce children. Yeah. And so when that's not happening, who he, is he? So Baba Segi has his teacher, aka the teacher. What would you call the teacher? Like an Obia man. Like a, I was going to say Obia man. Yeah, like. But no, I'm going to think it's Obia Well, it's girl. not Obia. It's like somebody who. It's like, like a spiritual. Like a spiritual yeah. advisor. Yeah. So he would go to the spiritual advisor to get advice. And of course, the spiritual advisor don't know shit go shit. I actually think he might have been gay, you know, because uh, they did mention that he has no children and he also doesn't have any... He's a eunuch. He's a what? Eunuch. Okay. He's castrated. They mentioned that? Yeah. I don't remember that. Okay. Cool. Yeah, he's castrated. So... Yeah, so Baba Segi reaches out to this teacher who he puts a lot of respect and he puts a lot of he puts a lot on the teacher. In get a teacher wholly per credit and follows the teacher's advice. But Balanle, being the educated woman that she is, she's like, No, Meko got a doctor, let's check this out. This let's check this out, let's see what's happening. Baba Segi's against going to the doctor. Another kind of thing that comes out of patriarchy. Uh, where men are slow to, well, cis men, are slow to visiting uh, healthcare practitioners for any kind of anything that might be happening. So they eventually do go to the doctor to try to figure out why it is that Bolanle is not getting pregnant. And the I found these interactions particularly interesting, both funny and sad, in that... Uh, for a lot of the interactions with the doctor, Baba Segi continuously felt slighted and offended that the doctor would direct any kind of question to Bolanle, which of course the doctor would direct questions to Bolanle because it's that's the only way to get the full picture of what might be taking place uh, that is preventing her from getting pregnant. So he's asking her questions about her body and Baba Segi would get very angry, very pissed off because I'm my wife. <laughs> this is my property. This is my, I own this. And yeah. um, if you have any sort of interest in this, you direct it to, to me. me and you talk directly through but me. But then I mean, it would be a waste of time because Baba Segi is not educated. So <laughs> it just, it would be futile. But I guess he doesn't see that way. And the doctors recognize that. The doctor, I think, yeah, the, I think the doctors recognize that this is a and an, an unequally very relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but that I think that also brings up another thing about um, maybe the perception that quote unquote educated people have of village people mm-hmm. in this in this setting. Uh, specifically because I think at one point Baba Seki had mentioned that Bolanle is his fourth wife and the doctor was in a way making fun of him, not outrightly, but making fun of him. And I think that 
kind of demonstrates the perception that the more educated population of that part of Nigeria has of people who live in the village and who still maintain a lot of these uh, traditional practices. I don't think it's just Nigeria. I think, uh, I mean, while we don't have that sort of official polyamorous culture here in Jamaica, we do definitely still have that hierarchy of um pound versus right. country and, definitely um just making fun of people who may sound a little bit different uh, who have a different dialect or have a different version of pato than town people are used to um so yeah that that um that that uh, desire to make fun of and to ridicule people who sound off and sound uneducated i think is a universal thing yeah, absolutely. But I did want to, what's the word I'm looking for? Keep it specific to the context. Okay, of the yeah, yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah, and then I think those interactions, again, were very essential to the characterization of Baba Segi and the kind of person that Lola is creating through him, through his character. Uh-huh. I remember reading something from Akila, who's a book club member. She she wrote about or she mentioned a bit about how Lola writes Baba Segi and the kind of disgusting isn't the word, but I it feels like Lola goes out of her way to make Baba Segi seem disgusting. Like she feels like she goes out of her way to characterize him as this. I can't find another word. I'm trying to find a different word for disgusting, but I can't. But I having reflected a bit on on that i kind of agree with with what was said because if you when we when we recall some of the ways that lola goes into detail and i know that she's just she's a really expressive writer but the the i think she pays particular attention in making sure that we we have a particular view of Baba Segi, I think, where she goes into detail about like his bodily functions, like his farting and his belching and his uh, incontinence. Incontinence? Yes. That's her peeing, right? <laughs> but like, yeah, she goes like into. He's very. He barbaric. I don't know, like very just manly in like a very like when you think about men, you think about all of the gross things that they find funny or they find like appealing about themselves, and that's Baba Segi for real. He's just very. She makes him. She paints him as not only gross or disgusting, like you say, but also like a little bit stupid, a little bit like uh, he doesn't really know what's going on he doesn't he has common sense but that's basically it 
I don't know if that's fair though. Is that sounds a bit too harsh? Wait, you mean what you're saying or what Lola what does I'm with saying his about what I think how I think she painted him? No, I don't think it's unfair because I think that's exactly how she paints him. And I think that I think that's a part of the critique from Akila is this paradise on Instagram, by the way. Or this is paradise. One of them, I'll get it correct. This is paradise. I think that's a part of the critique that this is paradise gives where she mentions that one in particular, Baba Segi is a fat man he is pretty fat tall round and it's just a kind of interesting thing that she makes a decision to really talk about his bodily functions in the way that she does i think that's i think that's an interesting point to consider in terms of just how lola writes about this particular fat character and i under i understand why as a character, he feels so gross because of his, because of this patriarch, because of he, because he's this kind of. Ugh, I'm losing it. Mm, let me start again. <laughs> I kind of understand why Lola writes Baba Segi in the way that she did, particularly because he is the patriarch in this story. And because of the kind of power and authority that he wields over these women's lives and how he makes these, uh, how he interacts with these women, the dynamic that he has with these women. But I do think that it's a very fair sort of critique from the outside, just about how she, how she writes and characterizes him. Just this, just playing up the disgust and, I don't know if that was necessary. I don't know if that was, if it was particularly important for her to detail these sort of things. And yeah, I don't know if it necessarily contributed or if it was necessary for his characterization, if it was necessary to add all of these details about his bodily functions and how his body moves to kind of create this, disgusted gross kind of picture of him i don't know if it was particularly necessary to do that what do you think are the redeemable Uh, qualities about baba segi he loves his children i think (laughs) he loves his kids and i guess he does he does provide for his uh, everybody in his family his family yeah um i think that he is what would be considered as a benevolent patriarch or what I would say is a benevolent patriarch in that he's not violent towards his wives. Um, Except for, I think maybe it was later down when Segi, the daughter, was poisoned. I think that might have been one of the few times that he got violent with one of them. It was probably Ia Segi. I'm trying to remember. I don't. But he was never particularly violent towards his wives. And I think, unfortunately, <laughs> that's, the, that's one of the redeemable things about him. He was 
like you said, he provided, he loved his kids. He wasn't violent towards them. <laughs> towards them. <laughs> and he kind of let them yeah. do their own thing, which was good. Um, yeah, I think uh, he never, he wasn't very possessive, I don't find. And uh, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit possessive t- towards uh, Bolanle. Maybe because she was newest um, and she also didn't have any children. And uh, because she was the youngest, mm-hmm. so he had maybe a, a little anxiety about her leaving. Um, but uh, I didn't think that he had that same that same desire to control the others. Because maybe they've already established, yeah. um, they have established routines within the household and... Um, the relationship is already established and there's not really I guess he anticipated that there's nowhere for them to go really or saw that they're not gonna go anywhere. So um yeah. Yeah. And he he allowed and I'm using that word deliberately, uh he allowed Iasegi to work and set up her shop, uh, which is an important part of the story because Iasegi being the ambitious woman that she always is, did that intentionally. She, you know, whispered to him, you know, let me do this. Let me set up a one little shop and, you know, and he allowed her to do it. And while she was doing that, she was saving up her coins for hopefully one day leaving Baba Segi and going to find her one true love, which is a woman. And Again, patriarchy robs you of so much. It robbed this woman of finding and exploring her sexuality and finding a nice little woman for she live with. But then interestingly, interestingly but, though, that's it. Patriarchy, yes, it, it robs all of us and we are all agents of patriarchy um, because the people who kind of push the marriage on her was or the person who pushed marriage on her the most was her mom and i found that relationship mm-hmm. dynamic to be interesting because her mother her mother um she organized her wedding essentially and um was just saying that you know she doesn't want yes yasegi which is her daughter to die alone like her but her Yasegi's entire life growing up with her mom, her mom was saying that you can never trust a man and um, they're not really worth anything. The only thing that they're worth is basically to give you yeah. children. Um, but yeah, they're not faithful. And she had a lot of hurt and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of hurt that she was dealing with because I think her husband left her, Yasegi's father left Yasegi and her mother for somebody younger. So there's a lot of pain that she was navigating. Um, yeah, so it's it just on. that she passed on, yeah. But it was just interesting to see how um, women also perpetuate patriarchy and uh, perpetuate uh, yeah, the, the traditions of it that keep us uh, boxed mm-hmm. in and keep us limited to the same roles that we're trying to fight out of yeah and bell hooks talks about that she talks about how all of us are agents of patriarchy basically so all of us are 
inculcated and socialized into patriarchy and all of us can and have weaponized patriarchy against somebody else so all we drink the kool-aid basically yeah uh yeah and so where were we and we're just talking about yeah segi and uh, how her mom oh no you had asked about redeemable qualities. oh okay okay yeah yeah but that's what i was talking about that led me to yesegi because i was saying that he also allowed yesegi <laughs> to have the shop because we were saying that he um him leave them alone to them own devices like he doesn't necessarily interfere into interfere in their lives yeah really and he doesn't interfere in their lives because he thinks that he's the center of their world. <laughs> he is so oblivious to what's going on. Yeah. I, yeah, I honestly believe that he doesn't think, like, he probably thinks that their world stops when he's not in the room. Yeah. He does give up. Like, that there's, and there's, there's nothing interesting <laughs> happening in their life yeah. right now because. I am not there, so what could possibly take place? And uh, that that messed him up in the end because he <laughs> find out said nothing did I go on behind him back. <laughs> Nothing's going So like so for those who don't know, so he went after all of these doctor visits, uh, the doctors are like Wait, hold on, let's let's backtrack because okay. we want to really set up the story for our listeners. So the thing is that they went to go to see the doctor because Bolanle is not pregnant and this is after a few years mm-hmm. of living in the house and being one of the wives. And so immediately, um, yes, Baba Segi is like, this clearly has to be her fault because, you know, I have all of these children. I'm very fertile. Um, I was saying this, actually. <laughs> no, 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 but, okay, sorry. Yeah, that's true. We did say this. Go ahead. We did. If you wanted to add something new, though, that's fine. Um, uh, I wanted to... Something comes to mind because this is not a specific... Uh, this is this is something that I recall. Um, mm-hmm. That a lot of men... Well, okay. First of all, men are the ones who determine like the sex of the child. And a lot of men and people in general don't know that. So... I remember a story, I don't know if it's like an adage or this is a real thing, but there's this guy who was in a relationship with a woman and they've had, they had a, um, a child before, or I think they had like two children and they were both girls and they really want, the guy really wanted a son and, uh, um, the, the, the wife was pregnant again, but it was a daughter again. And he got so mad and was just like, you know, why are you always giving me daughters, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it's the man's sperm. I don't know the biological or the technical jargon, but it's uh, basically they're the ones who determine what the sex of the child or the outcome of the sex of the child will be. So men blaming women for giving them another, whatever it is, whether it's a boy or a girl, is uh, not correct. It's not factual. So, um, yeah. And usually a lot of the fertility issues or 
infertility issues i should say that couples have the men are usually the ones who are looked at first um because it's usually slow slow um low low sperm sperm or their slow moving sperm sperm or something slow yeah low motility yeah or something like that but um turns out bala said you just had nothing Just no sperm. Yes. So he he went to the doctor. They went to the doctor. The doctors asked as many questions as they possibly could. Then they were like, all right, so we need to run a few tests. So Balanley gets an ultrasound and then they needed sperm from Baba Segi to test. (laughs) That was kind of funny. That was funny. he had absolutely no idea what they meant when he said when when they said all right we're gonna need some sperm from you it's like one one of a door what you mean yeah. <laughs> when when the water come out it got into the woman what else is there supposed to do so the doctors were very confounded because they're like you've never masturbated before yeah <laughs> And so when he went, when he goes into this room too, and I find that really funny um, because uh, I feel like uh, you'd expect that from people who are particular, who are like religious, but it didn't come across that Baba Segi was particularly religious. No, so... I don't think he's religious. But I think what was interesting was that it it demonstrated just how innocent he is. I don't, I wouldn't call just it how... innocent. I don't think I'd call it innocent. Like, I would call it innocent. Really? Why would you call I it would innocent? call it innocent in terms of just an un, just unaware of uh, unaware of the world outside of himself. Unaware of the world that he grew up in or well let me not say that he he kind of feels like a sheltered child in a way where you grow up with a particular thing you accept that that thing is true and you never go about interrogating or investigating it so i don't think that he i just i don't know how to explain it I don't know. I mean, I, I, he, I wouldn't say innocent. I'd say more along the lines of naive. But even that feels a little bit. But that, that, but I think both of them, for me anyway, I think naive and innocent are the same thing here. I think he, yeah, he he's not. Uh, or do you think innocent feels too be- benevolent? In yeah, a way? is that it? Yeah, maybe. I don't think he ever was encouraged to explore. Like sheepish. Yeah. And I think he's just, and I'm not he's saying just he's traditional. Sheepish. Because I don't think, I think what it is is that he, he, he saw masturbation as being dirty and touching himself as being dirty. And so, but then he was still stimulated by it. So I feel like that, that contrast between not wanting to do it to yourself but still feeling like oh i'm intrigued by this thing just shows how uh how i don't know it just shows that he never really got to explore as 
at any point in his life and once he like he just kind of followed what he was told to do and what the roles of a man are you have a penis you stick it into Which the is... vagina of your wife and mm-hmm. she get pregnant and you have a picnic and that's it. like it's very it's uh, like it's a conveyor belt of things that need to happen for you to be and feel like the man that you are um the provider that you are the the um the the dominant male presence that you are supposed to have in your home um and so i don't know like i just for me like reading that or listening to that was just a little sad because one i know that that definitely still exists here um or still not here in jamaica but like here in Jamaica, yeah, but we're not talking about Jamaica. I'm talking about just generally where people from traditional backgrounds are not encouraged to explore. And so that level of like sex education is missing from, from a lot of people's, not just formal education, but also informal education. Um, and uh, I don't love that for us because it perpetuates a lot of uh, um, inaccuracies about sex and just the... Uh, a lot of um misconceptions about it um yeah but for me that scene with him just (laughs) not knowing what to do was so telling because i mean if you have four wives right and uh, at no point at every every single point no sorry you have four wives and uh, every time you feel like you need to be satisfied you go to one of them you never think to like look to or to please yourself i think that's um yeah that's a little scary in my opinion why would it be scary though especially in his context yeah well yeah i guess he doesn't need to because he has uh, the the people who do it for him but it's scary because again, yeah. like it's just it outlines the type of roles and responsibilities that women have, and what what me what needs they're they're expected to meet in um relationships with men, even if they are yeah. not stimulated in that same way, and it doesn't even sound like based on some of the experiences that the woman would share that Baba Segi was ever considerate of their own needs and their own feelings. It's just like he has the urge. It's whoever's night to see him, him just jam it in and that's it. And so just another, um, yeah, just another responsibility that uh, women are expected to fulfill, like just a service, which... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. So, I I would still classify it as some kind of innocence on his part. Innocence and a mixture of how he was socialized. I can remember this particular philosophy that I learned when I was back at UA and I was doing philosophy of love and sex or sex and love, one of them. And 
I remember us talking about Thomas, St. Thomas Aquinas, who mentions that sex should only be for the purpose of recreation. And so if you spill seed that isn't meeting an egg, then you're sinning. And that reminds me of the situation that Baba Segi is in and potentially how he grew up and how he understood sex to function and understood the purpose of sex. Because now thinking about it, I'm wondering if he has ever had sex with any of these women for pleasure. And if he has only had sex with them for the purpose of procreation that note has me very interested because in that same scene when he's attempting to ejaculate and he was watching some porn if i remember correctly he was surprised by his arousal he was intrigued and felt it was the feeling that he had was an unexpected one. He didn't expect that he would. He'd have this sort of both physical physical and physiological response to this particular stimuli. So that makes me think about whether he has ever had sex for the purpose of pleasure versus procreation. So anyway, he does this and I think he got it wrong the first time or or he didn't. Or there wasn't enough. Oh no! There wasn't it enough. Went on the wall. He missed. <laughs> it go on the wall. Yes. And him kind of took it another so another cup. He just scooped it off. What was that? Was just messy, <laughs> yeah. And then, and of course, the 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 hospital ran tests, and it came back that he's really not producing anything. He's not producing any kind of sperm to create any sort of children and i don't think they told him that yet i think the doctor just said can you bring one of your wives to the hospital one of your wives who have pitney bring them come to the hospital and iasegi was the one that ended up at the hospital and iasegi was nervous out hell and through this interaction that's when we learn that iasegi recognized that Baba Segi could not produce children and so she outsourced and so and then what she did with the other wives that the other wives that came into the house outsourced with the other wives when they came into the house she also told them her secret and this is why Bolanle has not been able to get children because she was not a part of their in-group and so she never got she never got Baba, she never got Iasegi's wisdom to outsource the penis, outsource the sperm, and that's how you get your children. I think was it the the driver, Baba Segi's driver, who was one of the father for the pitney den? No, it was a butcher. I think for Tobe, yeah, Tobe was one of the butcher that she used to Tope. Tope, sorry, that she used to um she used to have a visiting relationship with him. Um, yeah. Then uh, somebody else from um, yeah, Femi, the the host that she used to be the the girl or oh, the son. Yeah, the son, the host. 
She used to be what? The he was a yeah, he was the father of both her children. Oh, yeah. I don't remember mm-hmm. who was the father. I think, for... I'm pretty sure the driver was the father for Segi. Really? I don't remember that. I feel pretty sure, okay. but I'll check. <laughs> Might have to just that... clean up that part to let me go back into talking about the hospital scene. So after Iasegi reveals to the doctor that, and Babasegi was in the room too, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and he, so Babasegi does not do well with How can you? receiving any information, right? Nobody does, but his is very interesting where in belly, just start running. Yeah, he has like an violent diarrhea. <laughs> And I think in this particular scene, he actually shot himself. For the harvest at Yatopet's um, family house. Remember when they were, they were mm-hmm. talking about how he asked to, for the nearest bathroom and Lola was but, talking about yeah. it. They heard every splatter and fart and everything in the house. That, I mean, that description was just... <laughs> it was a but bit it much. Was, it was a lot. Actually, I don't think she needs to say that bit. much for us. But uh, yeah, he has him have a weak stomach. It was a bit much. Bad, bad, bad. And so, yeah, so yeah, Baba Segi his entire world came crashing down right there. Because again, his children were the center of his world. He loved these children. So not only reasons or ways that he defined his manhood, having all of these wives and also having all of these children. Yeah. And his entire, and also his entire identity because he's Baba Segi and Baba means father. Yeah. His entire identity an image is wrapped up in his ability to have children and then to find out that none of the children that have been living in your house for years are yours and you have four and you have four um wives and all four of them will minus Mm -hmm. three of them just uh, step out so and get a jacket like uh, Mm -hmm. yeah that's hot that's hot and then on top of that his favorite child Segi dies. Segi? Segi, yeah. She's the eldest. Oh, yeah, She's yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves the one who was poisoned. He loves Segi. Mm-hmm. He loved her and she ends up dying and the entire world fall apart. And at this point, you're thinking that, you know, the wives are either going to get kicked out or he's going to violently react to them or some such, but in a, maybe, maybe not surprising to Nigerians. I'm not sure, but in a sort of surprising twist, instead of kicking everybody out and instead of everybody seeing this as their ticket to freedom of sorts, they, he forgave them. Or maybe not forgive, but he 
he allowed them to stay inside the halls. He created new rules for them. Um, and I think this was the catalyst for him becoming a little more strict. I wouldn't say possessive, but he became a lot more strict with them where I don't think they were allowed to leave the house at all. But this was also the wake-up call for Balanli where I think she she had a bit of a revelation. She had a bit of a revelation which I think snapped her back into her body and gave her an opportunity to reclaim her agency and be, be an active participant in her own life. And... Uh, I think yes to all of yeah. that. Yes to all of that, Christina. Mm-hmm. But I think what really freed her was the fact that she was able to finally talk about her trauma too. Um, she wasn't carrying that burden alone. Yes. And yes. so that coupled with everything that was going on in her home, um, she was able to start living for herself and uh, got the strength to walk away from a situation that wouldn't have been serving her in any capacity. Absolutely, absolutely. She had a moment, I think, right before right before Segi gets poisoned where she visits her family home and there is a massive argument between her her sister and her mother and, and I think your through that was argument i think it was extreme yeah he was there too but he wasn't actively involved involved in the argument mm. which is which speaks to his participation yeah. in their family oh for since ever he's just not actively involved yeah. at all which is also probably why the mother did so damn stressed yeah. because yeah. he her partner the father the father yeah, he and he was this brilliant person, as we saw from the conversations that he has with Bolanley. Very brilliant, very smart, very sharp. But he, when it comes on to participating in his family in a very active and meaningful way, he disappeared. Like he, it feels like too much yeah. for him, and so it was left on the mom to do all of the parenting, all of the caregiving, as it usually is. But. So they have this huge argument that I think was really cathartic for everybody because Balanle, as you rightfully mentioned, she got to finally share this huge secret that she has been walking around with. She the, didn't share that the during the argument, that though. I think she shared that before when she had the one-on-one moment. With no, she, didn't share it in, she didn't share it in the argument. Um, I was really just mentioning that just that entire scene or well that entire portion of the book was a kind of yielding for Bolanli um and an unraveling way where she finally was able to I guess breathe for the first time like take a real deep breath and release things and everything that happened subsequently just I think allowed her to go you know what I don't need to be here. Yeah. And and again, because of the kind of relationship that she had with Baba Segi, she kind of, he gave her the, the, the okay. Not that she needed it, but I think that, I think that was, that's an important thing. He gave her the, yeah, you can go. You I know you don't want to be here. You yeah. don't want to be here. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah, that- he allowed her to leave. Yeah. 
And I think um, maybe that's, I understand why the other wives would have felt jealous of her because maybe they could have, they foresaw that she wasn't going to stick around or she wasn't as invested or, I don't want to say that she wasn't invested, but it was, maybe they saw through whatever um intention that she she had i don't think she had i don't think her intentions were malicious i think she went she to not really knowing what she wanted and this was a good placeholder for her she did weak our stomach did weak <laughs> weak fan well baba said you stomach weak too so there's that <laughs> But yeah, I think but, yeah, she, she had the she had options, which I think always puts you in a better in a better space, no matter where you are in your life. Once you get to choose what you what your next step is, I don't think a lot of the other um the otherwise didn't have options or their options came only long after they had to wait. They basically they had to wait out to. They had to wait it up before they could activate their options. So for um yeah, Segi. I think after Segi after Segi's poisoning and death, I think their their perspective shifted. So Ia Femi. No, not Ia Femi. Ia Segi. We spoke earlier about her building up her money so that she could eventually leave Baba Segi with it. I think after Segi's death, one, that's already a terrible and tragic thing to experience as a parent. Yeah, I, I think, think that was her only child. Well as... Huh? And you said that was her only child? Yeah, I believe it was her only child. I... So losing her child, but also knowing that she played an active role in in the child's death, I think that completely shifted her her intention to move away, right? Because one, she no longer has her child to live for, but two, the guilt of doing that, and she wanted to 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 make up for it, and so she stayed. And then with Iafemi, who had every intention of leaving to go and be with the son of the lady who she was the house girl for. I don't think she wanted to be with the son. She did want him. I, I, I think... Yeah. Are you sure? I feel like I got the impression that she wanted to yes. float to the grandmother more than anything else. I mean, I know she. They had a relationship. No, she actually. She was in love with him. She was in love with him. Yeah, but then remember, there was a point where she. I think she went looking for him and found out that he. He left the city. I think him left the city. Okay. And her world kind of came crashing. I think she was pissed off. That's her version of responding to things. But yeah, she did want him. She did want him and I look for the with him. Because mm-hmm. even when she moved into Baba Segi's place, she was always going to... Um, she and him were always meeting up to have sex. Yes, I remember that. And, but uh, 
Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know that she, she like actively him. was in love with him. Yeah, yeah. She she did want things. Okay. With him. She did want things. Okay. And she didn't get it. So her her plan changed as well. So I I think at the end of it, they had nowhere to go. Yeah, but uh, they had nowhere. Belanley had, and uh, but Belanley started to feel like uh, I have possibilities. Yes, and she wanted to see those possibilities, and so she did. Yes. There, I feel like there is a lot that we probably have not covered in this book, but that's why people should go and read it because it. Again, it has, there's so much to be discussed from it because there are so many themes that Lola works with, both, I think, both intentionally and unintentionally, that comes out of these stories of these these five people, really, and just everything that they had to endure to get to the place that they were. And I think as a final-ish thought on on the book itself, I think it really tells the story of what people, particularly people who are marginalized, people who are part of any group that experiences oppression, the things that we have to do to survive, the things that we endure, and how oppression in itself creates this one, it creates this unsafe world for us, obviously, but it also puts us in survival mode all the time. So we're continuously in a, in a space of survival where nothing ever feels safe. Sometimes not even our own bodies feel safe, mm-hmm. as we see with Melanie. A lot of things don't feel safe for us, and so we're continuously in survival mode, and we make decisions around trying to survive and surviving to the best of our abilities even if that sometimes mean means violently harming someone when they don't deserve it right and it's also i think a lot of a lot of women a lot of queer people can relate to the general The general issue of having to survive in a patriarchal world, the general problem of having to find your place and find your freedom within a patriarchal society. So definitely one of those books that I'm really glad that I found and I'm really glad that we read this year and that I think a lot of people should attempt to engage. Uh, In addition to its really good writing, it's just generally a really good book. And it's read. funny as hell. Oh my God. Like you will be popping up and there's so many moments that are, that it, that are inappropriate, but you can't help but laugh because the author does a really good job of richly and deeply pouring into the characters and making you so invested in them. Like I was invested in um, all of the wives and I just wanted to, I love to hear their backstory. Um, I wanted to cry at moments, although I never did, because it's just so heartbreaking how, how 
difficult their lives have been in different ways but it's not far-fetched like it's not something that you could never imagine that could happen to you or somebody that you know which is the scary yeah. parts about it and the disheartening parts about it but um it just it that's what makes it a real depiction of uh, the some of the things that women always have to experience um so yeah i think it will give you a, a really good understanding of uh, the the things that women have to go through in order to survive and uh, um i mean outside of that it's just a great book it's funny and uh, it's an easy read too yeah absolutely agree thanks everyone for listening to the podcast be sure to always uh i was gonna say like comment and subscribe (laughs) but uh, share this with anybody who you think might have read this book or might be interested in reading this book please leave us a comment so that we know how you feel about the podcast and follow us on all social media platforms platforms by us i mean rebel women lit we're on twitter facebook instagram we're also on youtube and of course uh, you can check out rebelwomenlit.com where you can see the bookstore you can see everything that's coming up with rebel women lit there's always something really cool that's happening also if you probably don't read a lot but you'd like to support rebel woman lit think about becoming a sustaining member there are different tiers uh just support the work that black core women are doing in jamaica in the literary space yeah um i think we've created um a very vibrant community and it's open and accessible to anybody who is interested in reading and wants to connect through books um, so if that's something that floats your boat, especially if you're in Jamaica, but not just limited to um, being here in the country physically, you can join us over at Rebel Women. Like Christina said, you can find us on all the different platforms and so we are looking forward to seeing you at Book Club. Yeah, stay lit. Bye. Bye. And stop.